Thank you, choir, orchestra, and Keith. Good job. Well, today we continue our series titled Give Me Five. And we have asked you to do two things during these five weeks. First, every day at five o'clock, pray for five minutes asking the Lord to send revival. One of the encouragements to me is that throughout history, revival has come when the people were at their lowest point. So I believe that God can send revival, but we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek His face, turn from our wicked ways and ask God to give us revival. The second thing we've asked you to do is to invite five people to visit church with you. Five people in five weeks who do not go to church someplace else, invite them to church. During these five weeks, I have been preaching sermons focused on five. The first was five stones, and I gave you five principles for slaying your giant. The next was five loaves, which had to do with ministry. Then there was five talents, and it was about practical Christianity. And today, there are five oxen, which is a parable about excuses. And I suppose that we are all rather creative when it comes to excuses. I read some notes written to teachers from parents asking that their child be excused from being absent at school. One of them said, please excuse Pam. She was sick, so I had her shot. Seems a little extreme. My favorite said, please excuse Jennifer for missing school Monday. We forgot to bring in the Sunday paper, and when we saw it on the porch, we thought it was Sunday, so she didn't come to school. We also have some fairly creative excuses for not serving the Lord, for not attending church. One, of course, and probably the most popular, is health issues. I'm always amazed by people who are so ill on Sunday that they can't come to church, but they have a miraculous recovery on Monday that allows them to go to school or back to work. There are some people who have the excuse, well, I don't like the music, I don't like the preaching, I don't like the people, I don't like anything. Benjamin Franklin said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. Now let's look at our text, Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse number 16. But he said to him, a certain man was giving a big dinner. And he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I, I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. In New Testament times, when there was a party or an event, there were two invitations sent out. The first was to announce the event. It would sort of be like a save the date invitation, announcing the event. The second invitation went out when it was time to come. And that's what we see here. You understand in this parable, it represents God's invitation to us. It represents God's invitation to you. So let's look at the plans in verse 16. He said to him, a certain man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. I like that concept. It was a big dinner. We recently had big day here at First Baptist Church. It was big. Well, big is characteristic of the Lord's invitation. Do you know that God's love is big? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love is big. It doesn't just include a small portion of the world. It doesn't just include a segment of society. The Bible says that God so loved the world. His love is big. His invitation is big. He said, go into all the worlds and make disciples of all nations. His invitation is a big invitation. His love is a big love. And the Bible says that he invited many. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you know that no one is excluded from the invitation of God? No one. There is no one here today who is excluded from God's invitation. You remember that Jesus was dying on the cross and next to him there were two thieves on either side dying for crimes they had committed. One of them turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief wasn't excluded. You remember the story about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders stood there with stones in their hand, ready to stone the woman. And Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. She was not excluded from the invitation of God. Tax collectors were not excluded. The Jews believed that a tax collector, a, a publican was beyond salvation, that he couldn't be saved because he had conspired with Rome and taking advantage of his own people. Therefore, they could not be saved. But the scripture tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. 
And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. No one is excluded from the invitation of God. It was extended to the thief. It was extended to the adulterer. It was extended to the tax collector. No one is excluded from the invitation of God. So the Bible says that he invited many and said to his slave, go tell them to come because everything is ready now. When everything is ready, the Lord calls. That's the reason the Apostle Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Why is today so important? Why is the Lord's invitation to you so urgent? Well, ladies and gentlemen, because of the uncertainty of tomorrow, today is important. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Ladies and gentlemen, regardless as to your age, none of us has a guarantee that there will be a tomorrow for us. Why is it important that we respond to God's invitation when he says come? Because of the uncertainty of tomorrow. There is no guarantee there will be a tomorrow because life is fragile. James wrote, and I believe that it is so picturesque when he says, what is your life? It's a vapor, appears for a little while and vanishes away. What is your life? James says it's like the early morning fog. It covers everything and then the sun comes out and it's gone. That's the way it is with life. Life is fragile. That's the reason it is important that we respond today to the Lord's invitation. Life is fragile. Another reason that it is important that you respond to the invitation of God when he calls is because your heart can be hardened towards God. The scripture says in Hebrews 4, 7, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just a fact. Every time you hear the gospel, every time the invitation is extended to you, when the Holy Spirit says come, one of two things happens to your heart. Your heart becomes more tender towards God and the voice of God, or it becomes hardened to the voice of God. And you need to understand that your heart can become hardened to God by constantly rejecting his invitation to the point that you never hear that you're never saved. You might ask the question today, has that happened to me? Have I rejected God for so long? Have I, have I rejected his call so long that my heart has become hardened? Not if you're interested. If you're interested, no, that has not, but it can. Another reason it is important that we respond to the invitation of God is because of the return of Christ. And everything I read, everywhere I look, suggests to me that we are coming close to the return of Christ. So there are the plans for a big, tenor, a big dinner and preparation has been made. And he said, everything is ready, come. The Bible says that the Lord has prepared heaven for us. Jesus said, 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So we see the plans have been laid and the preparation has been made, the invitation that is extended. But then we see the invitation is evaded, verse number 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. They began to make excuses. Now here, the invitation is extended. The dinner is planned. Everything is prepared. The word goes out. It's time to come. But they began to make excuses. The thing that is interesting to me about excuses is that they seem reasonable. Someone wrote, the heart has its reasons, but the mind makes the excuses. Billy Sunday called excuses the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Our excuses for rejection seem reasonable, and the excuses here seem reasonable. Look at verse number 18. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Well, we understand that. He said, I bought some land. I need to go see it, so have me excused. That appears reasonable. There's a rancher in verse 19, and another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Well, that makes sense. I bought some oxen. I need to try them out to see if they work. Have me excused seems reasonable. Then there's a groom in verse number 20. Another one said, I married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. We understand that. It seems reasonable. Our excuses seem reasonable, do they not? We've all made excuses. I certainly have. And they seem rational to us. They seem reasonable to us. There are those who say, well, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to get involved in that because there are hypocrites down there. Well, who wants to be around a bunch of hypocrites? I mean, that seems reasonable to me. Someone else says, well... I'm not going to go, I'm not going to respond to the invitation of God because I can't live it. And I don't want to be a hypocrite like those other people down there, so I'm not going to do it. Well, that sounds reasonable as well. Some will say, I'm not going to do it today. It's not that I'm never going to do it, I'm just not going to do it today. I'm not going to commit to the Lord today, maybe tomorrow, maybe some other time, but not today. Seems reasonable, need to think about it. But did you know that our excuses are actually unreasonable? They appear reasonable to us, but they're actually unreasonable. And these excuses, though they appear reasonable, were actually unreasonable. The realtor, I have to go look at the property I bought, please excuse me. Who buys property before they've looked at it? If you do, I want to sell you something. I bought some property and now I need to go look at it. What about the rancher? He said, uh, well, I bought two oxen. I need to go and, and look at them, need to check them out. In the Middle East, a team was first tried out to see if they worked together before they were bought. You, you need to take a test drive. He says, you know, have me excused. I bought some oxen. I haven't tried them out. Uh -uh. That's not reasonable. That's not the way that it worked. The groom, that was a great opportunity for him to miss one of those early marriage meals. 
So he could have gone. As I look at this, the excuses on the face seem to be reasonable, but the reality is they are not reasonable. Our excuses for salvation or for rejecting God's call to salvation are not reasonable either. There are those who say, well, there are hypocrites in the church. Yes, there are. But should that cause you to reject God's invitation of grace? You know, there are some quack doctors out there. Does that keep you from finding a good one? Probably not. You just avoid that one. Hypocrites buy groceries. Does that keep you from going to the grocery store? Doesn't look like it. I can't live it. Well, I'm, I'm a poor golfer, but that doesn't keep me from playing golf. Not now. We find time to do other things. The truth is God extends his invitation to us, and on the surface our excuses look reasonable, but when we examine them, they are not reasonable at all. So then, the invitation is expanded. Rejection by some does not stop God extending his invitation to others. You see, man's invitation to something is exclusive. I invite people that I know. I invite my Sunday school class. I invite the choir. But it is exclusive while God's invitation is inclusive. Now look at verse 21. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and the lame. Albert Barnes wrote, The places where the poor would be found. Those first invited were the rich who dwelt at ease in their own houses. Here's what I want you to see. The invitation at first went to those who had their own houses. When they rejected, God simply turned to others and said, go invite them. Now the reason I guess that that is significant to me in my thinking is that God has extended his invitation repeatedly to us. And we all know the story because we've read about the decline of Christianity in America, right? I read recently that 20% of Americans are opposed to organized religion to the church. We've read about that Christianity is on the decline in our country. But what I want you to understand is that God might have just turned somewhere else. Have you read about the growth of Christianity in some other countries? The growth of Christianity in Africa. Did you know that there are countries in Africa where the spiritual birth rate exceeds the biological birth rate? There are places in South America where the gospel is spreading and people are being saved. Folks, I want you to understand, when we reject the invitation of God, it doesn't mean that it ends. It means that God turns elsewhere. I have read the stories about thousands of Muslims in the Middle East coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior as a result of visions as the Spirit of God is moving in some of their lives. 
When we reject the invitation of God, it does not stop. God simply moves to someone else. In verse number 23, And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in. The hedges was the place or the homes for the beggars. They, they lived there in the hedges. Barnes says these were the men of the lowest class and of great poverty. So what did the Lord say? Well, they rejected his invitation. Did he stop? No. He said, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Go to the poor. Go to others. But extend my invitation that people might be saved. Why? Did you notice in verse number 23, he says that my house may be filled. That my house may be filled. I know when you have that attitude, there are those who think that one is simply on an ego trip. Maybe in some cases it is, I don't know. But if I taught a Sunday school class, I would want it to be filled every Sunday. The choir, Steve, we tease about it, but he frets. Wines, does all those things. If the choir loft is not filled every Sunday, that's the reason it's filled. Because he wants to see it filled. The church, it really is and has been my heart's desire to see this place filled every Sunday. And I believe that God wants heaven to be filled. Every place there. He's built a beautiful and a big place, and I think he wants it to be filled. We have to be persuasive. He said, go into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. The word compel means to convince or to persuade. Folks, there, there are people who feel that they are unworthy to respond to the invitation of God. And we need to compel them. We need to convince them. We need to persuade them that God loves them. None of us is worthy of God's love. Whether you're the pastor or deacon, you're not worthy of the Lord's love. God loves us anyway. So we need to, we need to go out into the highways and the hedges and compel or persuade, convince people that God loves them. There are some who feel that they are not wanted. That I can't go down to that church. They really wouldn't want me to go to that church. And we need to convince them, to persuade them, to compel them that they are wanted, that they are special to the Lord. The invitation was expanded. God did not stop when they rejected his invitation. He simply extended it to some others. And then the invitation is evaluated. God extends the invitation. But he does want us to understand the demands of discipleship. And I think sometimes that we are so eager for people to walk an aisle or do that that we, we just sing the song and tell them, if you love your mother, come forward. God wants us to understand the demands of discipleship. And if you respond to the invitation of the Lord, there are demands. It demands uncommon loyalty. Look at verse number 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Barnes wrote the word hate here means simply to love less. In other words, our love for the Lord exceeds our love for everything else. That's, that's what he's saying. Our love for the Lord takes priority. It exceeds everything else. I have people so often to me say, well, in my life, my family comes first. And that sounds spiritual, but it is not scriptural. The Lord comes before family. It comes before profession. I talk with people on a regular basis and they say, well, you know, I can't you know, go to church. I can't do this because I have to work. Paul saw his profession as being garbage when it was compared to his relationship to Jesus Christ. It means our love for the Lord comes above our possessions. I was talking with John Bassanio at Pastor First Baptist Church in Houston we were out once and it was night and I was talking. I said, John, you know, God has blessed you. He's given you so much. What would you do if he took it all away? You lost everything. He just looked at me and grinned. He said, I just keep on serving Jesus. And knowing John, that's exactly what he would do. But that's what he's talking about here. That, that he is priority in our life. That, that if we become his disciple, if we respond to his invitation then he becomes priority and we love him more than anything else. Demands unconditional commitment in verse number 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now we know that the cross symbolizes death, but it also symbolizes life. So we die to ourselves, we die to this world, but we come alive to God and we, we come alive to the things of God. Discipleship demands unimpaired vision. Verse number 28, for which one of you when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him. Many of you have read the seven habits of highly effective people. If so, you recall perhaps that habit number two says begin with the end in mind. Our vision needs to begin with the end in mind. Abraham was called on to leave his family, to leave his home, and he did so because he had a vision of the promised land. Moses refused the kingdom of Pharaoh because he had a vision of the kingdom of God. It also demands uncompromising faith, verse 31. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel, whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. I just want you to know the invitation is extended because of God's great love for you. But there are demands of discipleship. There are expectations of discipleship. George Brett was asked what he wanted his last at-bats to be. He said, I want to hit a routine grounder to second and run all out to first base and be thrown out by half a step. I want to leave an example to the young guys that that's how you play the game all out. I think that's true with Christianity. It's not easy 
Sometimes people try to enlist someone to serve by saying, well, anyone can do it. My response when I'm told that is I let them. If anyone can do it, let them. What can I do? That's what I want to do. What can I do? You see, there are demands to discipleship. Now, excuses can keep you out of heaven. People have the excuse, well, times have changed. And it's true. But God hasn't. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. People say beliefs have changed. We don't believe the same old thing. That's true. But the Bible still says you must be born again. People say just be sincere. You can be sincere and wrong. People say not today. There may be no tomorrow. People said I'm too bad to ever be forgiven. But the Bible says that while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. So how do we come to the Lord? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just like I am. My friend, on behalf of the Lord, I extend an invitation to you. If you've never trusted Christ, that you would do so today. Now, what will you do? Because that's your decision. Our Father in God, we come to this invitation, lifting it up to you and asking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, praying for those who have never trusted Christ that they would today. And Lord, for those who should become part of our family here at First Baptist, make them feel welcome and wanted. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please, as we stand, the choir sings as they sing. Would you come to trust the Lord, to join the church? I'll greet you as you do. Oh.